I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Coming to the end of our time in Acts, we have one more chapter, and then we'll be moving on to the next word that the Lord wants to speak to us. But listen to these words from Acts 27, a somewhat lengthy passage, so be patient as we sit under the reading of God's word. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarked in a ship of the Adramitium, which was about to sail to the port along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty uh, off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmonate. Coasting along it, with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives." But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach uh, Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Calda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then fearing that they would run aground on uh, the searches, they lowered the gear. And thus they were driven along. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned." Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. And so they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And it was, and so it was, that all were brought safely to the land. (laughs) This is the Word of God. Thanks be unto God. Let's pray. Father, this is your Word, and uh, we need it. We need you to work by your power, by the power of your Spirit through your Word. We need you to work. We need you to speak to our hearts this morning. We need you to do that work in us. We need you to transform us, Lord. We need you to renew us and restore us. We need you to help us to know how we are to live our lives in this world. And so I pray, speak, Lord, all of your servants, even the one preaching, we are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a saying we sometimes use regarding adverse circumstances. We say desperate times call for desperate measures. And the point of saying uh, that is to emphasize that actions which might appear extreme under normal circumstances are in fact necessary when we are facing adverse circumstances. I want to turn that phrase uh, this morning, however, and suggest that for the believer, desperate times call not for desperate measures, but for godly measures. Desperate 
times for the believer call for godly measures. Godly measures. You see, we have been instructed by our Lord and informed by all of the Scripture that the life of the believer is one where desperate times will come upon us. From the natural hardships we face from living in a broken world to the spiritual hardships we face as a result of our own sin and Satan's deceptions, we will come face to face with desperate times. From physical illness and pain to relational trials and divisions to financial loss and to uh, financial loss and need to career loss and transitions to parenting blunders and failures, you name it, we will have to navigate challenging times. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said that in John chapter 16, verse 33. Desperate times, brothers and sisters, are a part of living life in this world. Yet I hope you didn't miss, I hope you didn't miss it in Jesus' words. He has overcome the world. He has overcome the world. He has broken the power of those forces that have ruined God's world and that have ruined us, the forces that make those desperate times we face a reality to be endured in this life. And what, what that means for us as we face them is that we are not facing those desperate times alone and we are not facing those desperate times powerless. Paul was, Paul was already facing desperate times already facing a storm in his life when this literal storm at sea came crashing into his life. Anybody ever been there, by the way? You're already in one desperate situation and another one come crashing into your life. Anybody ever had that experience where you're already going through something and then something else pops up? Can I get a witness? Paul was right there, unjustly persecuted and imprisoned. And now, at danger at sea, facing a storm about to be shipwrecked. And what we need in these desperate situations is exactly what Paul had. We need, we need the navigation skills of the one who has faced the storms of life. We need the navigation skills of the one who has face the greatest storm that this world had to throw at him. We need the one who, in fact, overcame those storms, the one who testifies of himself to all who would hear him, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Paul was on his way to testify in Rome about Jesus, to testify about him that he was the world's rightful king and Lord to testify to what he had testified to Jew and Gentile, small and great alike. He was on his way, in fact, to tell Rome's ruler about the world's true ruler, Jesus of Nazareth. And as Paul made his way there, and as he faced desperate times along that journey, he knew he was accompanied by the one who had overcome the world. He knew that Jesus was navigating the course of his life which meant navigating Paul 
through those desperate times, through those storms of life. And I just came to tell somebody in the house that the one who overcame the world is with you. The one who was with Paul is with you in your desperate times as well. If your faith is in Him, Jesus is with you as you navigate those desperate times along the journey of testifying about Him in this world. And I came to tell this church, the corporate body of Christ, that her bridegroom is with her in our desperate times. The world may feel stormy to you, and you may feel the battering of life's winds and waves, and the ships that you have trusted in for safety may be ready to give way to those winds and to those waves. But what Paul found is what the disciples found on the Sea of Galilee when they too were faced with the storm. The master of the sea is in the boat. The master of the sea is with you. The one who overcame the world is with you. The one who can say to the winds and to the waves, peace be still, is with you. You are not navigating the desperate times of life alone. Your Savior is with you. For the disciples, it was Jesus in the flesh riding with them. And for Paul, it was this angel of God sent to confirm the Lord's presence and purpose for his life. The point being, the Lord does not leave us to navigate the desperate times of life alone. He is there to guide us through them. And in such circumstances, it is not desperate measures that we need. It is his godly ones. (laughs) So what are those godly measures that we are called to as the Lord guides us through these desperate times of life? Let me start by saying uh, we need godly counsel. <laughs> One of those godly measures is godly, godly counsel. Paul, having appealed to Caesar, was now being transferred by sea on his journey to Rome. And he's handed over to a centurion who functions as a, as a prison guard for Paul and these other prisoners who are on the boat. And verse 7 prepares us uh, in our understanding of what this journey is going to be like. It says in verse 7, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. As the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. The phrase with difficulty, <laughs> the phrase with difficulty combined with the mention of the resistant winds, alert us that this is not going to be an easy journey. In fact, the season in which they were traveling by sea was a particularly difficult season for sea travel in that part of the world. It was common for storms to arise seemingly out of nowhere that would delay travel or worse, threaten the voyage altogether. Navigating this difficulty was a part of normal life for captains and their crews. And so it's not surprising that when this particular voyage became threatened with danger, we read this, verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. The centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And why not? After all, the pilot 
had likely made, had to make these kind of tough decisions before about whether or not to keep going or stay put, go straight or go around. He was likely experienced in navigating these kinds of difficult sea voyages. And of course, no owner whose livelihood is at stake, should he lose the ship in a storm, would make such a decision without counting the cost. The centurion is making what appears on every level to be an informed decision, rooted in wise counsel from experienced people. Paul is not a pilot. Paul is not a ship owner. Yet Paul is something that neither of them is either. Paul, in fact, has been where neither of them has likely been. In enumerating his trials to the church at Corinth, Paul says this, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. It is as if Paul, thinking back to this experience, is looking at the centurion and the pilot and the captain and saying, y'all may have navigated through the potential of disaster and around the potential of disaster, but I have been in the middle of disaster. I have been in that water. I know what those waves feel like. I know the physical toil of trying to survive in the middle of the sea. I know the emotional toll of hoping to be rescued. I know what it means to trust God, not for what could happen, but for what has happened. Thus, the counsel I'm giving you is not the counsel of a know-it-all trying to prove his intelligence, It's not the counsel of a small man trying to prove he can hang with the big boys. No, it is the counsel of one who is deeply concerned about you and deeply concerned about the men on this ship and the livelihood of all those who depend on the goods that this ship is carrying. I'm not giving you worldly counsel in that sense. I am giving you godly counsel. You see, brothers and sisters, At its heart, godly counsel during desperate situations is rooted in leading people to care about the things that God cares about. Say that again. Godly counsel, when people are in desperate situations, is about helping people to care about the things that God cares about. You see, there's no indication from the text that staying put would have been dangerous. It just wasn't the most convenient place to spend the winter. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) It's not that staying put would have been more dangerous. It's just that staying put wasn't the most convenient thing to do. And some of you all know how you are when you're in desperate situations. Because when you're in desperate situations, what you sometimes look for is not the thing that God would actually have you do, but the thing that is actually more convenient. In this way, they were choosing accommodation and convenience over the ship and the lives of the passengers. This is Paul's point, that in continuing on, they would risk everything. And so Paul offers them counsel a counsel rooted in a concern for things God cares about rather than the concerns that often occupy our hearts. 
in desperate times. How many of you all, if you're honest, when you're in a desperate situation, you just want to get out? You want to get out. You, 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 you just want to be free. In fact, in fact if, if you're honest, your, your prayers are, are like, you know what, God? Here's what I would really love for you to do. Deliver me. Get, get, get me out of this thing. Take, take this thing away. Take this pain away. Take this situation away. Just, just get me out of here. Get me to a place where, where I can just be comfortable and where I don't have to worry about this storm. For honest, we, we just want to get out. And of course, when we just want to get out, we don't actually think about the things that God is concerned about in the trial. We think about ourselves. Amen, people of God. <laughs> I want to suggest to you that in bearing witness to Jesus, that we are called both to seek out this counsel in our desperate situations and to give it to those around us when they are in desperate situations. When we're in desperate situations, the things that God cares about can often fall down our list of priorities. We need the help of others in identifying what God cares about and the encouragement to pursue that over our own self-centered concerns. Paul says if you keep going, everybody's going to be lost. And in giving this counsel, it means knowing ourselves what God prioritizes, or prioritizes. And this means that we become deeply people deeply rooted in the Scriptures, people who know God's voice because we listen to it because we study it, because we apply it to our own lives. When we are in desperate situations, Paul had been, as I said, where these men now were. He had the experience of being in the trial they were facing. And he was also a man who was well acquainted with God's Word, and thus well acquainted with God's voice, and therefore able to speak confidently to others in their time of need. And in seeking out counsel in our desperate situations, it means looking for those who have been there, who know God's Word, and thus know His voice, and can help us in choosing the godly path. Paul, who is in a desperate situation himself, and is sharing their desperate situation because he's on the ship with them, at that moment thinks not about himself, but about what God is actually concerned about. And we need that same heart, that same attitude. And we need it, watch this, even when we're in desperate situations. How many of you, I asked this question earlier, how many of you have been in desperate situations and had another desperate situation come? How many of you all have been in desperate situations and then had somebody in a desperate situation come to you for help? I asked it again. How many of you all have been in desperate situations yourself and then had somebody in a desperate situation come and ask you for help. And how many of you, if you're honest, when those people come to you for help, want to say to them, hey, man, I got my own stuff going on right now, and there may be somebody else who can help you, but it ain't me. But watch the Apostle Paul, who is in a desperate situation himself, and now facing this desperate situation with them, who pauses to say, I want to give you some counsel to help you get out of the mess that you are actually in. <laughs> Amen, people of God. Give us 
Father, in our desperate situations, give us this heart attitude to be a people who offer godly counsel to others in their desperation. <laughs> we need godly counsel. We also need godly encouragement. We need godly encouragement. So the Apostle Paul's counsel, you know, because you read the story, you heard the story read, the Apostle Paul's counsel is not heeded. And the result, in fact, is disastrous. In their effort to make it to a different harbor, they get caught in a violent storm. And it's then all hands on deck to try to save the ship and their own lives. And so they engage in a, in a series of activities, including throwing cargo and goods overboard. We read this in verse 18. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. The situation is now desperate, which can be understood from Luke's recounting of the emotional state of all of those who were on board. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Let me ask you a rhetorical question this morning. What do you need when you are in a desperate situation that looks like it is not going to end well? I want you to behold the character of our God this morning. I want you to behold his heart toward those who find themselves in desperate situations. These men refuse to listen to Paul, choosing their own concerns over the things that God is concerned about. And as a result, a desperate situation has turned into a disastrous one where they, will, uh, where they have lost all hope of surviving. Anybody ever seen that? Somebody's in a desperate situation, you give them godly counsel, and then what do they do? They do the thing you told them not to do. And then what happens? Desperation turns into what? Disaster. Okay. But watch God. To watch how God works. Paul approaches this hopeless group of men. And now the first thing he says is this, I told you so. That's what he says. I mean, read the text. It effectively says, I told you this was going to happen. And you have to laugh because Luke gives us a window into Paul's humanness. He can't resist the need to call attention to their unwise decision that has brought them into an even more desperate place. And every time I read it, I have the voice of my parents and others who have given me wise counsel that I ignored telling me, I told you so. And while I hate to admit it, they did, in fact, tell me so. And had I listened, I could have averted the consequences of my own unwise decisions by making wise ones, the ones they were trying to point me toward. There's a message in that for those independent spirits in the house that don't like following good counsel. But that isn't the central message of how God responds to us and the hopelessness that comes to us in desperate situations. Listen to Paul speak to these men in their desperation. Verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly 
as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul tells them twice to take heart. That is to be encouraged. He tells them in essence the desperate situation that you find yourself in is not going to end here. God has drawn you up into the larger story of what He is doing. He has determined that your stories are not going to end here. God has decreed that testimony about Him will be given before Caesar and that all of you will survive and, and, and things will turn out the way God determines because He is actually the one who is controlling the world. Paul, therefore, is giving testimony on his way to give testimony. He is encouraging desperate men in a desperate world that there is a God who rules over the world, who rules over their lives. He is the one who sent Jesus, the one whom Paul is going to bear testimony about to Caesar. Desperate people in desperate situations need godly encouragement. And that encouragement is rooted in God Himself, rooted in His character, rooted in His actions. You know how good God is? Even when you make a bad situation worse, God still shows up. Man, if you had actually heard that, you would have said amen louder than that. Even when you mess up, even when you make a desperate situation worse than what it was, God still shows up and works His salvation. Sometimes when people are in desperate situations, as a result of their own refusal to listen to godly counsel, our response can stop at, I told you so. But that's not where the response is meant to end for believers. Even when speaking to non-believers, our response is not to end with, I told you so. Indeed, even if I told you so is warranted, it must not be our final response. Our response is to be one of encouragement and hope, a hope of where things are headed, and it should be an invitation to enter into that hope for those who find themselves in desperate situations. Yes, disaster and judgment are realities for those who refuse to trust God and put their faith in His purposes, yet God often offers encouragement and hope to people who turn to Him even if the disaster they are facing is of their own making. How many of us love to tell people, I told you so, but aren't as in love with offering people the possibility of hope? Some of us, if we're honest, we love being right. We love being right more than anything else. Yet remember, remember this, God is right, and yet He still offers, to people, offers hope to people who have done wrong. I want you to hear that again. There is no one more righteous than God, and yet He continually offers hope to people who have done wrong. And so if our response ends with, I told you so, then we're not acting in accordance with our God, <laughs> who Himself is righteous, and yet offers hope to the unrighteous. God's I told you so is often combined in the Scriptures with the hope of what can be if people turn and trust to Him. And so encouragement isn't about declaring ourselves as right, it's instead about declaring God as right. 
and with it the hope that is available to all who turn to him. I want you to notice that Paul is speaking to a boat that is largely a boat of non-believers. We need to apply this personally and corporately. We need to apply it in our parenting. We need to apply it in our marriages. We need to apply it in our friendships. We need to apply it with our neighbors. We need to apply it with our opponents. We need, the, we need to apply the very character of God who when people are in messed up situations, doesn't just say, I told you so, but says, I got hope for you of where things can actually go. Amen, people of God. We need godly counsel. We need godly encouragement. Lastly, we need godly deliverances. The men on the ship, they're exhausted emotionally and physically. And what is more, they've not eaten At one point in the story, they haven't eaten in close to two weeks. And they had not eaten, not because there was not food, but likely because of their emotional state. Why eat when it appears that all is lost? Anyone ever been depressed? You ever been so down that you don't even want to eat or do anything for that matter? If you've been there, you know what these men must have been going through. And if you are there now, if you're, if, you're, if you're there right now, you're in this room, let me encourage you that there are people who can help you navigate that depression. In fact, let me encourage you to let one of your brothers and sisters know, to let us walk alongside of you in that season of your life. Don't suffer through that depression alone. Let one of your sisters, your brothers in Christ know that where you are so we can walk alongside of you. These men had not eaten and so in, addiction, so, uh, <clears throat> so in addition to their already weakened emotional state, they were no doubt increasing in their physical weakness. And then something else happens. <laughs> On the 14th night, about midnight, they realized that they were approaching land. They couldn't see the land, but were using an instrument that ships at this time would let down into the water that would give them a reading of how close a ship was to land. When they realized they were close, they anchored the ship to wait till morning when they could see better what was going on. Yet in the midst of an already difficult crisis, some of the men decided, since they were close enough to land and could likely swim, that they would let themselves down into the water and escape to the land. And Paul, recognizing this, tells the centurion that if anyone leaves, there will be a loss of all the life on the ship. Perhaps Paul knew that everyone was going to be needed for what lie ahead if everyone was going to be saved. And we know, of course, from the wreck that takes place later in the story that some of those on board could not swim. Thus, without enough help to get closer to land before the wreck, many of them might surely have died. Perhaps Paul didn't know this, but was simply communicating what he had heard from the Lord, trusting that God knew that the actions of these men would prove disastrous. Either way, the centurion, who had not listened to Paul before, now listens to him and has the ropes cut so that no one can escape. And this may not jump out to us in the story because there is no mention of angels or anything else supernatural, but God has in fact just delivered these men from death again. Indeed, all along the story, there are these moments 
where death could overtake them, and yet God delivers them. From the beginning of the storm to now, they have been delivered from ultimate catastrophe. And these deliverances, of course, are all, they all culminate on that last day when they are finally, through great effort, able to get closer to land, only to have the ship get stuck in land that they couldn't see before they got to the shore. I wonder if any of you have ever been in a desperate situation and you thought it was coming to an end, and then you got stuck, and everything around you started collapsing. Ultimately, in the story, the ship falls apart. It had been so violently battered by the storm that as soon as it hit, it broke into pieces. And the scene had to be frightening. It had to be chaotic. It had to be frightening. It had to be chaotic as those who could swim are commanded to swim to shore and those who could, could not are encouraged to grab hold to whatever they can and attempt to float to shore. And yet, despite the danger, despite their weakened physical condition, despite the inability of some to swim, this, this desperate band of men facing a desperate situation are all brought safely to the shore. And I love how the English Standard Version of the Bible translates the Greek here. It doesn't say they arrived at shore. It doesn't say they made it to shore. It does not say that they escaped to shore. No, it says they were brought safely to the shore. And even if you can translate the Greek in those other ways, the narrative itself bears witness to the truth that these men were not saved by their own efforts. They were not saved by their own power. They were not saved by their own strength. As admirable as all of their activity was, they were brought safely to the shore by a God who is faithful in his deliverances. They were brought safely by a God who doesn't just show up in our lives one or two times in the mess and muddle of life, but a God who shows up every single time we find ourselves in difficult situations, every single time we find ourselves facing disaster, every single time he shows up. And his deliverances aren't always the out of deliverances, but the through deliverances. Some of y'all understood what I said. It's not always the out of deliverances, but the through deliverances. (laughs) How many of you are thankful this morning for through deliverances? You know what I mean by that? There are some situations you don't get to get pulled out of. You have to meet every aspect of the situation until the trial is done. In those kinds of situations, you need a God, not just a God who can pull you out, you need a God who can bring you through. How many of you know that you serve that kind of God? How many of you know that you serve the God who can not just deliver you out, but the God who can deliver you through? In those kinds of situations, that's the God we need. And praise God that he is a God who is faithful in all his deliverances. You know what the call here is, brothers and sisters? It's to trust. It's to trust what God himself says. It's to trust that this is indeed the God that you serve. If you're here today, if you're in this building right now, and your faith is in Jesus, 
Let me tell you, you have been delivered from dangers seen and unseen. I'm going to say it again. If you're sitting in front of me and I can see your face and you are in this building, can I tell you, you have been delivered from dangers seen and unseen. You know what that ought to make you do? It ought to make you praise God. It ought to make you throw your hands up in the air. It ought to make you put your hands together. You know why? Because that's the God that you serve. Yes, you've been saved from sin and death, yet you've also been saved over and over again from other dangers, toils, and snares. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have, it was grace that brought me safe thus far, and it is that will lead me home. God's grace is truly amazing. And here's the thing I want to say to those who may be in the house who are not believers. Watch this. If you're here today, it's also because of God's deliverances. You are here because God has brought you through a number of seen and unseen dangers. And what it should cause you to do is to turn to Him in faith to turn to Him as God, to turn to His Son as Savior. It wasn't luck. It wasn't simply human intervention. It was God. It was God that gave you another day. God that gave you another opportunity to stop pursuing your own way and to turn to Him and pursue His way. That's what these men on that ship received. They received, through God's deliverance, another day, another opportunity to turn to God. God is a deliverer, (laughs) and His deliverances should lead us to trust. For the believer, those deliverances should strengthen our already formed trust in Him. And for the one who does not believe, it should cause you to turn to the God who saves. You know what desperate times in our lives call for? It doesn't call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for godly measures. (laughs) It calls for us to be a people who hope in and turn to others with godly counsel, it should be, it should make us a people who offer and receive godly encouragement in those desperate times, and it should make us a people who trust in God's deliverances, not in our own strength. Desperate times call for godly measures, and as we confront those desperate situations, we can take heed that we serve a God who is able to navigate these situations. We serve a risen Christ who has come through the storms of this life on our behalf and by the power of the Spirit carries us through the storms we face as we bear testimony about Him in the world. And He does so, and as He does so, He calls us to those godly measures. May the Lord Jesus give us power to trust in those measures in these desperate situations of our lives for His glory and for His honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, we give You praise. We give You glory. We give You honor. We give You thanks. There is no desperate situation that we face that You are not there with us. And here's the great, glorious, good news of the gospel. Even if those desperate situations 
were in fact to take our lives, we have an eternal life in front of us because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So we give you praise today. We give you praise that, 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 that sin, that death, that none of the calamities of this life can tear us from your hand. You have us. We are in the hands of God. And we give you praise and glory and honor and thanks for that. Now I pray, help your people in their desperate times, even if they're facing desperate situations now, Father, I pray, give them strength, give them power by the Holy Spirit to seek after you in the midst of those situations, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.